Improving health literacy, the ability to understand and act on health information, is key to improving health outcomes and lowering costs. Welcome to the Health Literacy 2.0 podcast, the podcast series from EdLogix where we talk with business, HR, health, and community leaders and explore unique, data-driven, and effective behavior-changing solutions that can help improve people's health literacy and increase their engagement with health and wellness programs. For show notes and bonus resources, visit www.edlogix.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast for health literacy and workforce well-being. I'm Seth Serksner, Chief Health Officer at EdLogix, and I'm really excited to welcome my guest today, Crystal Sexton, who is the Global Health Analytics Manager at Shell. And Crystal, you and I have known each other a long time. We've known each other from conferences, from board work, from the industry, from social events. <laughs> I'm really, really happy to catch up with you today. But before we do that, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your career background and your current role? Sure. Thanks, Seth, for inviting me to do this. So I'm at Shell. I've been with Shell now for almost 11 years. I'm an epidemiologist and biostatistician by training. My PhD is in cancer epidemiology, and I did have a previous career in breast cancer research. I started at Shell doing epidemiology work, but pretty early on in my career, we started to look at health in a very different way and wanted to look at it much more holistically than just traditional occupational health and really beyond the scope of even just physical health. And we expanded into more mental, emotional, social, financial health areas. And we've been building on that over the past seven or eight years. We did build a business case so we could restructure and have a team focused exclusively on holistic health. That changed my job pretty drastically. And I started to work very closely with the business and understanding business strategies and how we could have health as a driver of positive business outcomes. Working closely with senior leaders across the Americas and Europe, really to understand how our health strategy could strengthen their business strategies. And then I did that for a number of years. We also now went through another reorganization that led me back to the team I was originally on when I started here. Now I lead that team. We have a team of epidemiologists, statisticians, and data analysts who really are responsible for the scientific evidence base of all the work that we do, statistical analysis, programmatic approach designs, and then you know building business cases and understanding KPIs and dashboards and what we can really do to bring health and science data into the business. Impressive. Yeah. So reorgs are a way of life, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. get comfortable with that. And, you know, you and I come from a similar background around research and data and analytics. So, you know, I really appreciate that. Talk a little bit about the data required to make the business case to invest in this holistic approach that you're talking about. What are the data points? What are you talking about when you discuss that? So early on, we were really interested in things like stress management and leadership, transformational leadership, and things that were really outside the box for health at the time. It was a really difficult sell in the sense of trying to go to business leaders and talk to them about something that seemed unrelated 
to their business outcomes of interest. And so one of the two key metrics, I would say, of interest at Shell, safety and employee engagement. Mm. And so we made the decision early on to try to tie the health work that we were doing to employee engagement and safety. And we were able to do that successfully in two ways. We measured what at the time was our resilience program and looking at numbers of resilience modules per person, how many they completed. And then we analyzed that with regard to employee engagement that was defined by the questions in the Shell People Survey that define employee engagement. And those have changed over the years. So it's hard to compare year to year to year because we started with four questions and we went to six and now we're at eight. So employee engagement continues to change definitions, but across the organization, it's still a key metric that we use. The thing that's important about employee engagement is we know from our own internal work that roughly a 10 point increase in employee engagement translates to about a 40% decrease in safety incidents it was much easier for us to measure engagement than it would be for a health function to measure safety incidents. So we started with the low hanging fruit and we went for employee engagement. We were able to demonstrate that the more resilience modules one completed, the more resilience they built, the more engaged they were in work. And we also saw that they felt more included in work. They were thriving and a number of indices that sit behind our people survey all showed consistent sustained positive relationships with those outcomes and resilience. Same thing with the caring environment and, you know, looking at that from the perspective of how we're treated, how we're treated by leaders, how we treat each other, the team dynamics, the dynamics amongst senior leaders, middle management, and the person, him or herself. And we were able to show the more one felt cared for, the more engaged they were in their work and ultimately the safer they were working. And we were able to measure safety, productivity, budget, retention, attrition, a number of different metrics for that kind of work. So incredible, a really strong kind of analytics. And I want to get to what you're working on today, but how did leadership respond to that? I mean, was that a I mean, you're laying out a very clear path. Many of us in the industry are like, yay, Crystal, yay, Shell, good call. But there's still always, you know, some skepticism among leaders sometimes. And, you know, it's European leadership. So did that make the case for them? I think seeing it translate into safety numbers was really a key piece for us. It was an absolute game changer. Safety is such a key metric here that opened the doors for us a lot. We were also able to do, through collaboration with a group here called Project Services, we were able to do a translation of those results into dollars. How much are we saving? How much are we potentially making by implementing these sorts of health programs? At the time, those were standalone, right? So we were looking at here's resilience, here's care for people. And we knew that that was only going to last so long and only be so sustainable without it being a more holistic kind of cohesive approach to health. But that was how we started to build the business case. It did take us several years. It did not take the C-suite very long to Mm. support what we were doing once we had that business case in hand. Yeah, that's amazing. I remember one of your former colleagues, he told me that at one point, the helicopters used to ferry the crews out to the platforms could carry maybe 11 guys. And then as time went on, they could only carry nine guys and the helicopters didn't get smaller. (laughs) So that that translates into any number of costs, including safety risk, because the more trips, the more risk you 
good at people. But okay, so that's an amazing kind of history and basis. It gives you a lot of credibility in your organization. So now what's the focus? What are you guys focusing on these days? So we were already, even back in those years, trying to build a mental health component, a pretty strong mental health component. Mm -hmm. That was aided somewhat, unfortunately, by COVID and the need you know, to have mental health support across the company. We recognize social isolation became a very big problem during the height of the pandemic. And the office workers were almost exclusively working from home for well over a year, most of us closer to two years that we were home. And I think that heightened the focus and accelerated what we were doing. We started out developing a mental health program that was solely focused on mental health. And we piloted that for about a year and a half. We had 6,500 employees who went through a pilot. We had a survey associated with it. We had a toolkit behind the scenes. We really wanted to understand if we could identify needs that were specific to teams within Shell and not just use blanket results and blanket approaches. And so we wanted to pilot that to see if we could achieve that. And ultimately we did. We used the results from those 6,500 respondents to show that Yes, we can survey. Yes, we can show, we can have results that are tailored to the team that point to specific tools that will help the team. And we can use that repeatedly and show change over time. And then in the design of taking those lessons learned, the quantitative feedback, the qualitative feedback, we spent most of this past year, year and a half, developing a global program to be rolled out to all 90,000 employees across Shell. That rolls out on Monday. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, Monday is the day. So, you know, we've been feverishly testing everything, making sure that all of the links work and the dashboards are up and running and all of the, the platforms are ready to go. But, you know, it's been an enormous undertaking. We're a very small team and to roll something out that's going to touch every employee across Shell is it's tedious in some ways, but it's been challenging and, you know, fulfilling. And I think we're all excited to see what results we can get out of this and how many people we can positively impact. Well, I know you're going to be watching the data. What are some of the big components of the mental health initiative? Yeah, so we have three big pieces. One is on promotion of good mental health. Mm-hmm. And that includes not just mental health pieces, but also physical health nutrition, sleep. So all the things that are related to mental health, but what aren't necessarily traditionally thought of as in the mental health space, we have a protection of psychosocial factors in the workplace. We did review, and I think Seth, you're fully aware of, you know, this onslaught of guidelines that have come out about frameworks to help design mental health programs and whatnot. We did review those at the very start And we were lucky in the sense we didn't have nearly the amount at our fingertips as is available now. But at the time, we did go with what's called the UK HSE standards. That's the health safety executive. And we did that because it's simple. It's six factors. It has a validated questionnaire associated with it. And we wanted something that would be meaningful within Shell, wasn't too complicated, and wasn't too long. And so we distilled all the literature we could find into that being the number one choice for us. We're One of the main pillars is looking at the reduction of psychosocial risk factors. And the third is about 
timely and quality access to mental health services. Yeah. You said it's pretty detailed on these psychosocial risk factors. There's a lot of work around, I'll just call it changing the toxic work environment. That's a little bit of a strong word, but we know what we mean when people feel a little bit like, you know, their manager doesn't necessarily support them. The kind of the things you talked about maybe related to engagement to some extent. So psychosocial factors, I'm not sure everybody in the audience maybe knows examples of those. Yeah. So there are six factors that go into to what we're looking at, but I'll give you some of the highlights. Job demands, right? How much time do we have to do the work that we are asked to do? Mm-hmm. And I think as we've seen through COVID, there's been such a shift in the workforce, a loss of some of our longstanding employees, but the work is still there to be done. And so the demands placed upon people are those reasonable given the resources and the bandwidth that the teams and individuals have. The control over the job and autonomy, which can be very challenging in our operational sites, for example, which have union requirements, regulatory requirements, safety requirements, ensuring that there is a say in what you get to do can be quite challenging in that environment. Whereas in the office-based staff, autonomy is a really critical piece of stress at work. Do you have a say in the work that you're doing? Is the work that you're doing challenging? Are you being listened to with regard to your capability to do that? So all of those things are being factored in to what we're looking at with regard to protection. You mentioned relationships, support. How is the organization handling change? And so this piece of the work that we're doing is pretty new to us and is really more of the organizational sort of systems approach versus an individual or even a team approach necessarily. And we know that looking at the pilot data, we saw you know, the changes that were made over the year one of the pilot to year two, the positive changes were primarily amongst the knowledge of the people, right? So you mentioned health literacy. We'll talk about that later. But also, do we know what EAP is? Can we access those services? The knowledge levels increased. The organizational components, those did increase some, but it's less so the knowledge components. And that just speaks to the fact that organizational change and cultural change is going to take a longer time. Yeah, it's so interesting. There is a lot of work around change management, given that, I mean, organizations always went through change, but it just seems like now it's so constant. So as you said, it's a little different than the classic stress management, learn how to relax and breathe and all those good things, which we still do. But This is, like you said, more organizational level, maybe changing the way that we do our work, that work is assigned, that managers interact with us, that we interact with our colleagues. So are these like workshops? Are these manager trainings? I'm trying to understand exactly how you do this. (laughs) That's a great question. So we have a spectrum, I guess I would say, of tools. We did get feedback. In the past, our tools have been all geared toward teams and mostly conversations amongst teams. Even our resilience program was about conversations that people normally would not have in the workplace. The feedback we've gotten over the years and particularly the pilot was that we really needed these bite-sized pieces of information and key takeaways. And so what we've done is we have a number of offerings. They're built upon the constructs behind that. So I mentioned job demands. So There are tools that speak specifically to job demands, right? So we've got some very short, there's like a five minute video or 
at Shell, we always have safety moments, right, that kick off every meeting. We now have health moments that can be incorporated into those safety moments. Those are really short sort of five-minute messages that are about certain topics. We have five-minute conversations, 15-minute, 30-minute exercises. We've got things for the frontline staff that are super short in nature, intended to be able to be used in a population that really doesn't have a 30-minute window to sit down and have a conversation. So we've listened. We're going to see how it goes. You know, we're rolling it out on Monday. The tools are brand new, but we did incorporate all the feedback that we received. So there's so much I want to go into, but I do have another question before we change topics, which is, so you have the added challenge of making it global and this having to work in the US, in Europe, in Asia, all over the world. Are the modules somehow, you said you try to make them a little tailored. Is it more towards the work group or is there some cultural tailing as well? How are you making it? sensitive to that piece? So we've got sort of two pieces. We have the tools that have been designed and they're some evidence-based tools. That's a primary set that we are offering globally to everyone. They are being offered in translated languages eventually. We're offering up to seven languages right now. But there are pieces of this that are specific to countries, regions, and in some cases even sites. But the things that fall under more traditional health promotion we cannot possibly reach globally a lot of those because to your point, they need to be culturally sensitive. They need to be relevant. And then just, it changes from, you know, even pieces of the U S we've got completely different needs. Right. So there are health staff in those regions and Mm. countries and whatnot that are leading campaigns and health promotion components that are tailored to the needs of that particular population. That makes perfect sense. So the local health people, the local human capital safety folks can tailor it a little bit. Yes. So let's change gears a half second here. So as you know, I'm really hot on this health literacy topic. And when I talk about health literacy, I talk about the shift from health literacy 1.0, which is kind of flat patient education brochures to something that's 2.0, which really involves behavioral science and gamification, multimedia videos, infographics, and data to personalize and really make things relevant to people. For me, we know the data is so strong. One in 10 people, at least in the U.S., are only you know health literate. So 90% of people aren't. People with chronic conditions that are lower health literate are less adherent to their treatment, their medications, et cetera. There's so much data to say health literacy is a powerful piece to our outcomes, to health equity, to overall engagement. And yet, as I talk to employers, most of them say, yeah, totally agree. Great idea. Health education, communication, all this, our people need to be up on this. And yet, it's a little challenging to have them say, I'm going to do it. I'd love to get your take on this. We've had some conversations yeah. and, you know, as your understanding of the whole market, I'm not putting you as a shell person on the spot, but just curious to see where you think health literacy fits in the overall ecosystem of what we're trying to do. Yeah. So I will answer one piece of this specific to shell. Several years ago, we went through a health literacy campaign. It was pretty shocking how health illiterate we were seeing 
I was personally a bit surprised. It's a problem. And I think we can acknowledge that across certainly the U.S., even from the most basic perspective. You know, as time has gone on, I think we've worked to within Shell to build the knowledge base of our employees with mental health specifically. Certain lines of business have mental health ambassadors that have gone through training to understand the basic concepts, difficult conversations, all of that. And as we've built this global program, one of the key two pieces that we've noticed that we absolutely needed based on feedback as line manager training around mental health concepts, physical health concepts, the comfort of health literacy, for lack of a better term. And also the key people within the lines of business who are driving this program, they also ask for some line of training. They ask for a baseline level of understanding. Whereas when we went through designing the pilot, we completely skipped that because we didn't even think about it, just working on it day to day. And then they came back to us and said, you guys are expecting us to have this baseline level of knowledge we simply don't have. You're going to have to provide us with something. So that was pretty eye-opening to those of us who just live with our heads in the literature and in the science and don't think about that very often. And even you know, within the people who are most invested in doing these sorts of mental health programs, really needing that knowledge base to be increased. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe it. The work that you guys are doing, it's needed. It's absolutely needed. I think what you're doing in the innovation space of it, you know, gamifying it, making it more of a challenge and more interesting is really helpful because it can be pretty bland, right? Nobody really wants to take like another knowledge assessment about health just to find out they actually don't know what systolic blood pressure is. <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, like what you guys are doing and bringing to business is absolutely critical and it's needed. We see it every day. Well, I appreciate it. We'll have to still unlock the business case as you've done for these other things for health literacy at some point. Maybe that can be a little project you and I can talk about at some point. But you know, even mental health literacy, as you say, what's the difference between a counselor and a coach and a therapist and different types of therapy and inpatient, outpatient? There's a whole language just around that. So point well taken. We've covered a lot of ground here, Crystal. Like I said, I could keep going on a lot of conversation on this, but what have we missed or what do you want to emphasize before we close out here? I think one thing that I'm asked about a lot, and I want to make the point before we close, I think people look at Shell, this is a huge company, you know, lots of resources are put into the work that we're doing, but it doesn't have to be this enormous you know, program that can reach 80,000 people. I think the small steps, and I look back in our early years and those little baby steps that we were taking, those got us to where we are today. So everybody has to take a first step, right? You sort of have to crawl before you walk to use that cliche. Mm -hmm. And that's applicable to any size organization and private, public, you know, government, whatever. We all have to think, share lessons learned, share more data, share successes so we can all help each other because ultimately we're trying to help people. Right. And I think we need to keep that message in mind that this is all about the human side of things. And the more we share the good and the bad, I think the more successful we're all going to be. I so appreciate that message. I know that, for example, just at the recent Hero Conference in Salt Lake City, your team shared some of the pilot results. You were very clear that, hey, we have a lot of data. We need to share it. Everybody needs to share their data. 
to the extent that, of course, it doesn't violate any privacy or any other business issues. But the other thing that strikes me about what you did was you reviewed the evidence. There's a lot of resources out there already. As you said, you leverage, you know, the UK information, and that's the metric you're using, the, some of the, the measures. So reinforcing for people that there is a lot out there, I think, super helpful. There is a lot out there, and it's hard to sift through. So I think they're now guidelines about guidelines, which is really, really an interesting thing. It's information overload, but it is helpful. And, you know, there are some that are easy to read. There are others that are much more complex, but you can find the right thing for your organization and the right thing for your needs. Yeah. Well, again, I so appreciate the conversation. I applaud what you're all doing there. I look forward to seeing the data and more importantly, look forward to hearing about the impact and the good that you're doing there at Shell. And it is all of our challenge to figure out how to engage leaders to support these initiatives and the business cases you've made are, are very compelling. So thank you again, Crystal. I really appreciate it. Thank you everyone for listening and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the Health Literacy 2.0 podcast, the podcast series from EdLogix, where we talk with business, HR, health, and community leaders and explore unique, data-driven, and effective behavior-changing solutions that can help improve people's health literacy and increase their engagement with health and wellness programs. Remember, for show notes and bonus resources, visit www.edlogix.com forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe and share the show with your colleagues. Thanks and see you soon.